0: Today's episode of the Jesus Calling podcast is brought to you by James Avery Jewelry. Christmas gifts for everyone on your list. JamesAvery.com. I'm not chasing after hits. I'm just chasing after my heart. And, and, and I push myself harder. I never stop working and trying to become a better writer, a better singer, a better artist. And I wanna make music that has meaning, music that makes a difference in someone's life.
1: Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests have roots in country music and Western sports, and are dedicated to being authentic to their fans about the struggles they face and the faith that has carried them through. First up, we welcome back country artist, Aaron Watson, to the show. Aaron is a man of deep conviction and passionately dedicated to his family, his fans, and his faith. Today, he tells us how he desires to use his music to spread hope and joy, whether through albums dedicated to hurricane relief or filling our hearts with Christmas cheer. He also tells us why he's so transparent with his fans about the joys and heartaches he's faced and how he's able to find God's peace through it all.
0: My name's Aaron Watson. Um, uh, I'm a dad, a husband, a Christian, a big screw up at times, and uh, I have a band. So, uh, and this is my second time to be on the Jesus Calling Podcast, so thanks for having me back. We've been playing shows associated with the Houston Rodeo for probably like, I don't know, maybe 15 plus years. Always a smaller side stage, the kind of after party shows. Um, So to get the opportunity to get up on the big stage, the rotating stage in front of like 70,000 people. Um, It was such an honor. I tell people for a Texas artist that's like a golfer getting the green jacket, the masters. I mean for a Texas artist getting to play the Houston Rodeo, you know. So we were able to record the entire show, DVD, you know, the music. And first of all, I just kinda wanted to do that for myself. I mean, it's just like to capture that moment in time. Like, I remember telling myself in 2003 or four that, man, in a few years, I'm gonna get on that stage. I didn't realize it was gonna be like 14, 15 years later. But um, it was a special night. I had my mom and dad were there, lots of family, my wife, my kiddos. And uh, it's a night I'll never forget. And I was so thankful that we got to capture that you know, not just the audio but the video and we'd planned on putting it out uh, later that year but that's when um, Hurricane Harvey hit the South Texas coast in Houston as well and just the timing didn't seem right so we just kind of put it on the back burners and at some point I just kind of figured it was it was never going to come out and then we came up with the idea of what if we put the album out on the one year anniversary of the hurricane hitting the South Texas coast? Because when there's billions of dollars of damage, millions of people affected, 12 months later, it's not all better now. you know. And, and it will probably take a decade or more f- for for people to recover. I mean, I've literally met people that here they are a year later, and they still don't have a home. So... You know, in this day and age, with media, you know, it's all about the moment, and then they move on to the next big story, and often that leaves people, you know, kind of in the shadows, and they get forgotten, so we just thought it'd be a great opportunity to to give back. I mean, Texas is home. I mean, I'm a Texas artist. I mean, you know, I think we've played... 41 states and 11 countries in the last three or four years so you know I I love sharing my brand of music with people around the world but Texas is home. You know my mom's from Houston so um, it was really nice to be able to uh, have that opportunity to help a few people out. Cowboys and cowgirls those are my people and we've been playing rodeos for a long time and they're some of my favorite events there's a difference in how those people that are involved with rodeo, stock show, there's a difference how, in how those people treat others versus the rest of the world. I mean, there's so much kindness and love. And uh, I just I absolutely, I love playing anything associated with the Western world. We've been playing the National Finals rodeo now for, I mean, over 10 years. So, I mean, it's, it's for, for me, I mean, it's just a part of life, you know. It always uplifts me to play those kind of events. I mean, sometimes, to be honest with you, you know, when I'm traveling all over uh, the nation and I'm tired and we're playing dance halls and bars, honky-tonks, or these music rooms and the insides of them are painted black and you're going down into the green room and it smells like mildew. You know, you're just kind of like, ugh. But then you play these rodeos and there's usually fairs and rides and fried foods and kids everywhere. There's just such a a positive vibe going on, so I just, I love anything. Everything um, associated with the Western world, and what I love about a lot of the, uh, what I love about that culture, is in a world where everything is changing, these people are staying true to their roots, how they were raised, you know, and 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 it's admirable, and it's, it sets a great example for me. That, you know, okay, the rest of the world, they're doing their thing, you know. And, and I think that that's, you know, we talk about Jesus calling. I mean, we're called to be different. And, and that's one thing I really admire about the, those cowboys and those cowgirls. I mean, they're not perfect. I mean, no one is. But uh, I, I really, I just really love so many things about them. They set a great example for a lot of us. God's blessed me with four beautiful babies. They all love music. Um, The oldest boy, Jake, he's 12, and he honestly plays guitar like a grown man. The boy just loves to play that guitar. He loves baseball, loves basketball. Uh, He's playing football. His younger brother, Jack. Jack is 10, and uh, he's a hoot truly has one of the, the kindest, sweetest hearts of any human being. I mean, when he was little, 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 I said, Jack, you are so awesome. And I mean, he's four, five. And he said, no, Dad, only God is awesome. And I was just like, well, you little preacher, so sorry, you know, but I love that about him. And then there's there's a little sister, and I know you're not supposed to have a favorite, but I love her about this much more than the boys. That's because I know someday they're gonna meet some girl, get married, and they're gonna forget about their old man. But she has promised me that she will never forget about me, and that when I'm a mean old cranky man in an old folks home, that she will bring me food. So I, I dote on her a little bit more. She loves to sing. Um, Loves to dance. She loves to write songs. She plays the piano, plays the guitar. She's told me that in a few years when she's a singer, she'll just use my bus. So, yeah. But I love those babies. And my wife and I, we lost a little girl named Julia Grace. And um, it's, it's hard to believe that'll, that'll be that's seven years ago. And, um, you know, uh, it was a tough, we lost her shortly after she was born. And uh, that was a tough, it was a tough ordeal. I mean, all these years later, it's still tough. It's just, she's a part of our story. And, uh, you know, I held her as she slipped away. And, and that really rocked my boat pretty good for a long time. And, uh, but we still talk about her because that's, you know, that's, that's little sister. I didn't realize this till after we lost her. But it feels good when people will come up to me and ask about her, you know. So when, I, um, when I'm around someone who has lost a loved one, rather than be hesitant and not say anything, to talk about them. That brings people more comfort than you know. Because you're acknowledging their existence and it helps their memory live on. It's good for the heart.
1: Aaron strives to stay real with his fans as he shares the pains and the joys throughout the seasons of his life. He is excited for this season to bring joy to the world with his next project, An Aaron Watson Family Christmas.
0: So we made a Christmas record this summer in Texas, July, 105 outside, and, uh, Literally, we would go outside and we'd swim for a while and we'd dry off, eat lunch. Then we would record vocals in my wife's closet because it just sounded like a sound booth in her closet. I think it's all the hanging clothes and purses and shoes, you know. It just had this, I went throughout the house clapping and singing and I was like, ooh. This is where we're going to be singing vocals. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Hang on to your hat to come the many moods of Uncle Milo. We made the best memories. I mean, I was like a stern NFL football coach. I mean, I was gonna get their best performances, you know, and you have to treat them all different, but they did so good. And of all the projects I've ever made, this might be the one I'm most excited about. I mean, it turned out to be something that just was magical. It turned out to be magical. Um, we sing some classics, we sing some originals. Um, My wife sang, uh, you know, "Baby, It's Cold Outside With Me, and she just has this like, the sweetest little voice, like sounds like one of the girls from the 1930s, like sings real soft and airy. And um, the boys sang, you you know, Rudolph and Santa Claus Is Coming to Town. Probably my favorite track is Jolie Kate singing Uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas song, Christmas time is here. And it is amazing. I mean, her little voice, she just sang her heart out. But then, during the solo, where we, we had the area for the solo, we decided to have Jack, you know, little brother Jack, read the meaning of Christmas that Linus read on stage you know, in front of Charlie Brown. Um, You know, Charlie Brown was upset because his tree had withered and he was like, Charlie Brown, that's not the meaning of Christmas. And, And Linus read, I think it's Luke chapter four. Don't quote me on that. But we had Jack read the same thing and Jack actually sounds like Linus. So Jolie sings it and it goes into the solo and you hear Jack say, and there were shepherds. And it's amazing. I mean, you're gonna, you you hear that, and it's just going to bring you tears of joy. I mean, this album, it's 10 songs, and I truly feel like it captures the essence of Christmas. You know, I think it's important during Christmas that you, while there's trees and there's presents, I think it's important to make Jesus the sole focus of Christmas. And it's, it's, it's the birth of Jesus, but when, when you talk about the birth of Jesus, you're talking about the beginning of his life and, and the journey, and which leads into the lessons and the footsteps you know, which leads him to the cross. So, I love that. It, it, it keeps you focused on the true meaning of Christmas. And, uh, and I mean, that's what it's all about. I, I try to have a balance of my schedule, you know, like three or four days on the road, come home for three or four days. I try to keep it balanced. And really, you know, where I'm probably gone 150 days a year, which it is a lot, sounds like a lot but then there's that 210 days where i'm home and when i'm home i'm really home like it's like i'm at my kids disposal like what do you want from me today and and it really it's kind of a constant battle you know where i finally have to make myself and and a lot of people that i'm working with just know like no i have been gone for five days i i have to I have to deal with my home life because if things unravel here, the business will unravel shortly thereafter. But it's a struggle, you know? And and obviously, you know, I I have a passion, um, not just for my family, but my faith. And and I'm quick to tell people that the reason why I need Jesus is because I'm probably more screwed up than you. You know, I think there's this, A lot of people think, oh, well, you're a Christian, you know, like, oh, you're a goody two-shoe. Well, I am not a goody two-shoe. Now my wife is, you know, but I'm not. And, And that's why I need that constant reminder that I need to stay focused on my faith and my family. And a lot of times I have to hit the reset button, but that's the beauty of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, I mean, if you believe in Jesus and you believe that He gave His life for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then you understand that what He did for you is, is His love is bigger than any mistake you'll ever make. And no matter what that mistake is, because of what He did for us, you He's given you this gift of forgiveness and there's mercy and and that's that restart button you know that's that's hitting your knees in prayer when you're on your feeling like you're hanging on by a thread and just asking God to forgive you and to give you courage to get back up and keep moving forward so you know I'm a roller coaster ride you know if I sat here and told you that I had it all together that would be a big lie and I just can't handle I cannot handle that kind of um pressure of people looking at me like I have it all together and I think it's false advertisement but um, I think honesty is important it's um, one thing I loved about Johnny Cash is man Johnny Cash he loved Jesus and uh, he, he really he really had a lot of struggles a lot of addictions um, and for me I'm really inspired by his story because he constantly kept getting back up and moving forward. I love Billy Graham. I've read a lot of his books. Man, he had it all together. I mean, just such a role model. I can relate a little bit more to Johnny Cash. You know? And um, But the same thing like the Apostle Paul talks about for which I am the worst. You know? Those are, those are verses that I cling to because I'm like, man, when I'm feeling down in the dumps, like, you know, everybody in this day and age puts, on their, puts their best foot forward. Every photo has a filter on it, you know? It just kind of is what it is. But um, like I, on my new record that I just recorded, I wrote this song called "Trying Like the Devil. And I wrote this song um, after I saw a post that a dad made. His son had committed suicide, and he was talking about the letter that his son left behind. And his son just didn't feel like he was good enough. And his dad said, I really wish artists out there would be more honest about their imperfections. He said, I wish people posting things on Facebook and Instagram wouldn't be so um, fake. He said, "We, we, we only post good things or we post hateful comments. It's interesting, it's an interesting uh dynamic. it's damaging. and um so I wrote this song, "Trying Like the Devil," and it's just all my struggles and and it's just like I want people to hear that song, and I want them to if they're having a bad day go, "Hey, it's okay. I'm all right. I'm a little screwed up. We all are if they if someone says they aren't then. Give them a little time. It's tough. As as a Christian in this world, it's tough. But that is one thing that I really do feel. Like, you know, people have said, well, do you feel like God, you know, speaks to you or this or that? And I'm like, he has never said one word to me. I have felt his presence at times. But like when we lost our daughter, I felt something come over me after she after she left this world, I felt this sense of relief that she's okay now. And I can't explain that. But it's also the same feeling that if I've been a complete idiot at home and I'm being rude to my wife and I'm not being a good husband and I'm just carrying that burden around, when I finally swallow my pride and I hit my knees and I genuinely ask God to help me and to forgive me, I feel that burden lifted off of me. I mean, that is real, you know. I mean, and that's, that's something that, to feel something just immediately changing you like that. I mean, that's, that's real.
1: To learn more about Aaron's latest album, An Aaron Watson Family Christmas, visit AaronWatson.com. Stay tuned to hear our next guest, rodeo star Anthony Lucia. After this message from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Laura Neitzling, the host of the Jesus Calling podcast. One of my favorite Christmas memories when I was growing up was the gift that I would get each year from my dad. I would smile, seeing that tiny box under the tree each year, and couldn't wait to open it. Removing the Christmas paper and opening that little coral box, I would always find a treasure, a piece of jewelry that was special, picked out by my dad for me, from James Avery Artisan Jewelry. I cherish those pieces even today. Gifts from James Avery help tell your story, one that you and your loved ones will remember for years to come. Bring a smile to the face of those you love this Christmas with a special piece of jewelry from James Avery. This Christmas, that's the kind of smile I'm looking forward to. James Avery Artisan Jewelry can be found in their stores, in many Dillard's locations, and online at jamesavery.com. Our next guest is rodeo star and broadcaster Anthony Lucia. Anthony was born into a family whose name was known widely across the rodeo scene. His father was a well-known rodeo performer, and Anthony began joining him in performances at age eight. As Anthony's star began to rise in rodeo competitions and as a budding rodeo announcer, he began to move out of the shadow of his father's fame and into his own identity. As a result, his relationship with his father became strained, but Anthony tells a beautiful story of reconciliation and ultimately healing between father and son.
2: My name is Anthony Lucia from Weatherford, Texas, and I'm a professional rodeo announcer and television broadcaster. I do a lot of broadcast for live Western sports, live events as well. Professional team roper, uh, former professional trick roper, and I still trick rope every once in a while was able to perform at the national finals rodeo on four different occasions i was nominated three-time prca entertainer of the year and and then i moved into talking a lot and that's my my true passion is talking about the sport and the people that i love and that's rodeo and anything western sports i grew up just west of weatherford in a little town called garner and uh, so a typical day would be my dad would wake me up i like to sleep and I wasn't necessarily a morning person, but I learned to be because my dad was, grew up in the day and age where if you don't work, you don't eat. And, and my dad grew up from the streets of Minneapolis uh, with, with nothing, I mean, in, in, in a poverty-stricken part of the town. And, and he worked from the time he was eight years old, had a job of some sorts to help his mom. Uh, he had a single mom, and so my dad was, I'm so grateful that he taught us work ethic. He did entertaining and professional roadies. He started out as a barrel man. He was a clown, and uh, he transferred into strictly doing uh, dress acts, is what they call them. And basically, so he had a monkey named Whiplash that he trained to ride a Border Collie. And the Border Collie would herd up wild Barbados sheep, and then he also would train. He had some amazing trick horses. In fact, the horse's names were the first one was In His Glory, In God's Glory. And then the second one, when that one passed away, God brought another horse in. And uh, these horses had physical handicaps. They were sway back, and they were actually going to be put down, and my dad thanks be to God, was able to save them. And then because he had such a way with animals, he was able to train them to do amazing things that at first at first thought these horses with a deformity wouldn't be able to do. But because of my dad's relationship with animals, because he was able to communicate them with them in essence, he was able to make them and teach them and bring them their full potential and they were able to do amazing things. And so he performed all over the country, um, every major rodeo stock show from the Calgary Stampede to the Madison Square Garden in New York. I mean, we, we've we been everywhere, and, and so that's what I grew up in. I grew up being in entertainment and being around animals, and so, yeah. You know, in the Bible, it talks about we have dominion over the animals, and my dad took that for real. So he believed that he could train an animal to do anything, and it wasn't a, a forceful training. It was a training that I'm going to figure out what this animal likes. I'm going to figure out what makes this animal tick, what his pressure points are, what— helps this animal do what he can do, and dad would get the best
0: out of any animal
2: he had. It seemed like when we were home, there was always a plethora of things to do, and so we worked all day. We'd stop to eat lunch and then go back at it till five or six o'clock, and then I was able to pretty much, if I wanted to go to the creek and spend time in the creek, and I was an explorer, adventurer, and I loved it like finding wild animals and I would stalk wild animals and like deer and raccoons and stuff like that. Raccoons aren't that hard to stalk, just put food out and sit. Um, but that's that's kind of, that was my childhood. And then when we would leave, uh, we would drive for the hundreds of miles that we went, however far we had to go to get to the rodeo. And from there, you know, it was pretty much the same kind of day, get ready for that night's performance. And whether it was going to luncheons with my dad and being around adults, and and we're doing interviews with the media talking about the animals and different things like that and so we always had a job and so uh, it was a lot of very special time. Growing up with my dad, he was a hard worker, he was a hard man. I wouldn't be where I am today without him. We grew up 35 minutes from town and I mean, I went to church on Wednesdays and Sundays, and that's pretty much the only time we went to town. And it's not like we were countryfied and you know living in the backwoods, but I didn't have any friends, so I learned to trick rope. I taught myself how to trick rope, and it was it became a passion of mine, wanting to be the very best at trick roping because that was another thing my dad taught me was if you're going to do something, be your best and try to be the best because don't just settle for mediocrity. And and so that's that's translated into every aspect of my life. So my dad could be a bit firm at times. And so growing up, my mom was was not in the picture at all. And thankfully, God removed me from that situation and whenever they got divorced. And so my friends were animals. I was drawn to the animals, but they were a part of us. Rodeo is a part of me. It's not just something, oh, I love the horses and the bulls and the cowboys and the fans and the cowgirls it's a part of who I am. It's a part of what's molded me into the man that I am today and I'm I have a long ways to go to be the man I want to be but I've got a start and that's that's because of my dad and because of the people of rodeo because the animals that are in rodeo and in all western sports. As I got older the trick roping was fun but I wanted to rope things that moved. I wanted to test that and see how good I could be and when I was 19 I got my first rope horse and When I was 16, I'd started to train some young horses and we would buy, we'd go to the sale barn and buy some unbroke horses. So I had this rope horse that I'd saved up and bought, but I didn't have anywhere to go and compete and to really like utilize his talents. And so we would rope sheep every once in a while because we always had sheep. So I'd go on the pasture and we'd rope sheep. And of course, dad didn't like that very much. And so I'd only do that whenever he went to town and I knew he was going to be gone for a while. Uh, And then we'd just go ride and we would just spend time together and you know we'd ride to the far back of our place and i would just step off him and he would just be eating grass and i would just i would just talk to god and there's been more times than i can count that at a point where i was lost or at a point where i was questioning like god what are you doing because i felt like there were so many times and i'm sure every young person can and attest to this, but there's times in life when you're young where you have so many things going on, so many things you wanna do, so many things you're not able to do, and it's you're like, what am I here for? What's my purpose? What am I here for? And more times than not, a nuzzle by that horse or a soft look or there's been there's been times where I'd be on the ground just crying, just so just dealing with a lot of different things and our family, uh, was very tumultuous growing up. So our family was, was being attacked a lot. And so there was times where my horse was, where my dad couldn't, struggled with telling us that he loved us, struggled with a hug, or struggled with, you know, just a, hey, good job. He struggled with that. But God used horses to tell me and to show me his love. And peanut is still to this day one of the greatest blessings that I've ever received. Growing up, especially when I started trick roping, was very adamant because you know if you're nine or ten years old and you can trick rope, man, you're going to get some attention. And ten, or, I started actually performing in rodeos when I was ten or eleven, or actually I was eleven. And uh, and so everybody, you're eleven years old and you can do all this amazing things with a rope. People are just like, oh my gosh, you're so awesome. Well, that could go to a kid's head. I mean, it's just no different than sports or somebody's stands out on the basketball court or the football field. And, But my dad was very uh, conscious of not letting me get a big head. So as I got older, I became more involved in my dad's business and getting him jobs, getting him sponsors. So I took on the role of hey, this is Whiplash the Cowboy Monkey. He's got millions of, when YouTube first came out, he was, like, he was like the first YouTube star. He was huge on, I mean, clips of him on YouTube. He was on ESPN top plays of the day and plays of the week. And so I learned how to gracefully talk about what this animal and what this act can do for the, whether it's a company or an event or whatever. And even in, in what I've done and what I've quote unquote accomplished. I don't ever think that I'm the best ever. I have confidence. I have confidence in how hard I've worked to get to where I am, how hard I will continually work to stay where I am and get to where I want to be. And even when I'm there, you never stop working. And that's the greatest thing I think my dad taught me. We were on a tour, I was there with my dad and the producer of the rodeo was like, hey, we have early morning media at five o'clock and I could trick rope. And they're like, "Can you come talk to the news anchor? Trick rope, maybe teach him how to trick rope." And I'm 15 years old, and and he's like, "And I'll, you know, I'm gonna make you a star." That's what he said. And my dad told me, <laughs> he used a few choice words, but he goes, "That stuff of them saying they'll make you a star, you need to you need to have them make you some money." And so, but I'm like, "Well, you know, I'll make sure my chores are done. Just I'm gonna go do I'm gonna go do early morning media." And so basically, what, what early to explain that is we would go to these different buildings all across America, and all the news stations for that city would come in that morning to promote that night's rodeo and the next night's rodeo. And so, I would trick rope and these cameras I would do different. They would be set up in stations. I would trick rope with the news anchors and joke around with them and tell them, well, tonight you're gonna get to see some of the very best cowboys and cowgirls, amazing bucking bulls and horses. And not only that, you're gonna get to see Whiplash the Cowboy Monkey. It is whether you're 666 or 96, you need to come to the rodeo because it's a true family event. The whole family's gonna have fun. Make sure you're here by 630 when the doors open and enjoy a great night of America's original sport. So I'm learning how to do this. And at the time, I'm just like, this is so fun. Cause I'm getting a trick rope. I'm getting to be on camera a little bit. And like I said, I've always been, I mean, I was raised to be a showman. Like that's, and that's how I got into television per se. I didn't, I never knew at the time that it would turn into what I'm doing now. But so I started to learn how to announce when I was probably 16, 17 years old and never in a million years thought I would be a rodeo announcer never even crossed my mind. I'm just doing this so I can trick rope because I want to be a world champion team roper. I want to be a world champion bronc rider when I was a little kid. Like I just I wanted to be a cowboy. I've always wanted to be a cowboy. That's that was I mean, I just I love everything about being a cowboy and I love everything about what a cowboy represents and just the grit and the try and the work that goes into being a cowboy, whether you're whether you're an everyday cowboy working on a ranch or whether you're a world champion cowboy like Tyson Durfey or Trevor Brazil those guys the amount of work and the amount of sacrifice they put into being good at that is so honorable to me because I know how much it takes with trick roping I wanted to be the best trick roper I wanted to create the most exciting I wanted to create the most exciting trick roping act I wanted to be the best trick roper I wanted to be the best showman and so I just busted my butt to get good at that well then team roping I went all in on as much as I could with my schedule. I went all in on team roping. I didn't want to just be a a jackpot team roper and go here and there. I wanted to be a world champion. So I surrounded myself with the very best guys. I spent hours in the practice pen and I was able to accomplish quite a few things with team roping. Well, when I was probably 19 or 20 years old, my dad goes, he goes, as much as you talk, he said, you'd be a good rodeo announcer. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I kind of took it as a little bit of an insult, like, just because I can talk good, which is product of what you've taught me my whole life, uh, like that was almost a bad thing, that I've always been a talker. And now there's a saying that I say that I get paid to do what my dad used to whip me for, and that's talk too much. And and, uh, so it kind of, like trick roping, that was my own identity. There was times that I wished that I wasn't in my dad's shadow. There was times that I, when I was young, I wanted to make my own path. I wanted to, I want to be Anthony Lucia. I don't want to be Tommy's boy, which hurts my heart to say that because I was so blessed. I still am so blessed to have my dad. And now I take so much pride when somebody goes, are you Tommy Lucia's son? Yes. And I guess, I, I hope that I'm not the only youngster that ever felt that way. It seemed like there was a time, a period when I moved out me kind of what did it. And looking back, I see now why he reacted the way that he did because he thought I was leaving him. I was his last boy. I was his last kid. And I wanted to go do my own thing and, and, and still help him, but I didn't want to live there. I still wanted to help him and do, I wasn't just going to, thanks a lot, Dad, peace out. I would never leave him alone. And, you know, I always wanted to help him, but he saw me moving out as I don't want no part of him anymore. And he took that completely the wrong way. And he even admitted it as he got, when he got older. But it was one of those things that's like, no, I, I'm not leaving you. I still love you more than you're my favorite human in the world, but I need to do this. And so our relationship was tumultuous. And, and whenever I say tumultuous, I mean, we had a lot of really great times. There was a lot of, lot of struggle, a lot of different things that, that we went through with my growth and, and even his growth. And when he was probably two years before he passed away, something clicked in his brain. And it was like, I'm just gonna be proud of my sons. I'm not gonna be mad at them if they don't call me every day. I'm not going to be mad at them if they don't just accept everything I have to say. Every one of our relationships with all my brothers, with my dad, something clicked in his brain. And it was, the mo- it was amazing. He had never seen me team rope. Had never seen me team rope, I had been roping for, let's see, eight years. Had never seen me team roping, not one time. And he came and watched me rope. He had never seen me announce. He came and watched me announce. Uh, he would ask about my team roping every time. Like, how's your team roping going? Like, curious. Like, uh, and then at announcing jobs, he'd be like, how did, how did it go? Well, went pretty good. Had this, I co-announced with this guy. You should have knocked him on his butt. I'm so grateful. I mean, my dad loved God, but he never fully embraced his love. He never fully embraced how his grace, his forgiveness. And I know that because of a lot of my dad's mistakes, he felt so much guilt and guilt creates anger. And that guilt breaks a lot of relationships. But I felt like my dad finally got fully right with God. And he had accepted his love and his unending grace and his forgiveness. And that translated into all of our relationships because no longer he did he feel guilty for being too firm. He realized that's a mistake. He apologized for him and we, we all moved on. We'd already forgiven him years and years ago. My dad was like my hero. He was my superhero. Yeah, he was hard on us, but he loved us. He taught us so much and he would have laid down his life in an instant for any one of us. You don't find that in people. You don't just walk down the street and find that. And when he passed away, it's like I'd forgotten everything he taught me at that moment. <laughs> I forgot that he taught us to, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I forgot that, don't feel sorry for yourself, just keep pushing forward. Like, I forgot that that all of the lessons that he taught us, now it's time to, whenever I had a problem, deal with it. When I had a question, go to God. So when my dad passed away, the first step to me being right was Jesus calling. My dad died on his birthday. I was supposed to go pick him up to go to lunch. He didn't call me back. And so I called there, I got worried, and I found him. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. The hardest moment of my life was kicking down my dad's door. that night, as lost as I was, (laughs) through this book, God reached out and he said, I got you. So that night, (laughs) I got this book from my dad. It had been in my drawer, hadn't read it. Just kind of breezed through it every once in a while. That night, I opened it up to June 1st. That's my dad's birthday. And this is what it said, I am involved in each moment of your life. I have carefully mapped out every inch of your journey through this day, even though much of it may feel haphazard. Because the world is in a fallen condition, things always seem to be unraveling around the edges. Expect to find trouble in this day. At the same time, trust that my way is perfect, even in the midst of such messy imperfection. Stay conscious of me as you go through this day, remembering that I will never leave your side. Let the Holy Spirit guide you step by step, protecting you from unnecessary trials and equipping you to get through whatever must be endured. As you trudge through the sludge of this fallen world, keep your mind in heavenly places with me. Thus the light of my presence shines on you, giving you peace and joy that circumstances cannot touch." When I read that that night, that gave me momentary peace as I continued on. This gave me so much wisdom. (laughs) My dad had had been such a compass for me my whole life. Had been such a, you always knew where he stood. I could ask him a question, and I knew the answer before I asked him. And I respect, I sometimes didn't like him for it, but I respected him for it every time. And when he passed away, I was done. I didn't know, I didn't know where, like the number one human in my life for the last 30 years is gone. The last three years since he's passed away has been probably the three biggest years of my growth, spiritually, mentally, emotionally as a man, than my my whole life. And when my dad died, I thought, I'm done. But what I didn't realize is that now God was gonna use that, what I saw as a tragedy, as a blessing for me to turn to Him more. And it took me about eight months. It took me about eight months to go, wait a second. Why did God give me such a dad that had so much wisdom and knowledge and taught me so much? Why did He do that if I wasn't supposed to use everything He taught me to live my life? Because at the time when you're doing it, when He's still alive, I'm still getting coaching from Him. I'm still getting that so you don't realize that it's already inside of you. God's wisdom is already inside of us. We pray for wisdom. It's the greatest gift God could ever give to us, besides obviously salvation. But in the Bible, I mean, how great is the gift of wisdom? Reading the Old Testament, like, wisdom is more precious than rubies. And what what I didn't realize is that I have that capability. We all have that capability to grow in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. My dad taught us to be independent, free-thinking individuals, but when we actually started to do that, it bothered him a bit because we were independent, free-thinking from him, and my dad was very firm and very, you know, this is the way to do it, and that's still something that fuels my passion and fuels my fire, because I want to be great at whatever I'm doing, because, one, my dad wouldn't ever settle for anything less. And two, because God didn't create us just to be mediocre. I want to take, bring people into our world and tell them about the stories, tell them about the people of it, tell them about their families, tell them about their stats, all whilst presenting it in an exciting, entertaining fashion. Being the trick roper, being a team roper, contestant, a competitor, being, doing the media when I was 15 years old, learning how to talk about the sport that I love, not any BS, but true heartfelt passion for the sport and the people of it, that's what led me to rodeo announcing. Rodeo announcing has then opened up to broadcasting. So that's where this new venture of my life is starting to take me. I started a talk show in 2009 called Live with Lucia. And basically it's during the national finals rodeo. I interview, it was just basically I was hired to be entertainment at this big trade show, at the convention center at the Sands Expo, so that when people came and did their shopping, they could come sit down for an hour and see their favorite competitors and their favorite contestants that are competing at the national finals. So with the announcing, transitioning, and I'm still gonna announce rodeos, but there's a lot of opportunity now with Western sports broadcasting. So in a way, I feel like God is moving me in that direction, one, to have a bigger impact and two, I think He knows a little bit that if I get too big in announcing that I might get a little bit cocky. (laughs) When it comes down to it, I'm on this earth to do God's will. God, even today, is changing a little of my direction of where He wants me to be, and that's hard. That's hard for me because I wanna be the, the best this or the best that, and I wanna bust my butt to be the best. Well, then God's like, hang on a second. Keep that's great, but let's. I want. I want you. I can use you more over here. And so uh, there's a lot of things happening in my career right now that are, that are that are game changers and in a, in a great way and are huge blessings. But it took me, shoot, this has been. This is still going on today. Really, it took me a while to set aside my own goals, to set aside my own pride, and what I've worked to to build, and go. Well, if God wants me there, that's what I got to do.
1: You can see Anthony Lucia on Live with Lucia on the Ride TV network. Visit RideTV.com for more information about broadcasts in your area. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we speak with Trey Johnson, a professional steer roper. Trey was PRCA's Rookie of the Year in 2000, and has had many wins since that time. And now he speaks all over the world, sharing Christ's love and encouraging people that even when we fail, God will never fail us.
0: You can't be afraid of making mistakes, or you'll never never succeed in business and family and whatever it is. If we're afraid
2: to fail, failure is evident. It's going to happen. But when we're not afraid to fail, we're not afraid to take the big—never has God let me down.
0: Never.
1: Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling Podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling Podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.